Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon series is taking us through John's Gospel. What's happening in our lesson for today follows on the heels of the first days in Jesus' ministry. Jesus calls his disciples. John the Baptist points disciples to the Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus goes to a wedding at Cana, and there he performs his first sign, and he does it. Why? Not to bless the marriage, not for any other reason than to reveal his glory so that people might believe in him, in his word. Our lesson continues to the end of chapter two in John's gospel, where for the first time in Jesus' ministry, he celebrates the Passover feast with his disciples. John chapter two. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There, they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. The word of your Lord. Would you be seated? It was business as usual at the temple, and business was good. The temple courtyard was a very, very busy place. And during the Passover, it was crazy busy. Every single day, there was sacrifices being offered up in the temple courtyard, but not like the Passover. 
Every single Jewish family was expected to make the trip back from wherever they were living to the temple in Jerusalem, and every single one of them was expected to offer up a lamb unblemished as a sacrifice to the Lord. Sure, not everyone made it back there, but the sea of people who was back in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival, it was as breathtaking as the temple they were worshiping at. And everyone was looking for a lamb. So at the temple, business was good. I mean, just picture it for a second. You and your family are making your yearly annual pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, to the temple. You're traveling maybe days, maybe weeks with some of your friends, some of your friends from the synagogue, from the church, and you travel all the way there. You didn't just come to offer up the sacrificial lamb for the Passover. You had other business to attend to as well. Most likely in the last year, you sinned. So you were gonna wanna offer up a sin offering. And you didn't just sin in the last year, there was probably some good things that happened to you as well. So you were gonna offer up a thank offering as well. And being at the temple, you realized, and in fact, you had to pay the temple tax as well, because just like churches today, the temple didn't just run by itself. It was run on the generous gifts of members of the church. And so you would come there not only to offer one, two, maybe three sacrifices, but also pay the temple tax. And you couldn't use your money to pay the temple tax because it had Caesar's face on it, and Caesar's face was not allowed on coins inside the temple. And so you would have to go to to a money table, to a money exchanger, and swap it out for the temple currency. Your business was good at the temple because you were traveling all the way there to offer up more than one sacrifice, and you wouldn't take your animals all the way from home. No, that would be too inconvenient. So you would buy them there. That would make more sense. And of course, someone had to do all the hard work to find the unblemished cattle and sheep and doves. And so they weren't just gonna give you these for free. Someone did all the hard work. That wouldn't happen either then or now that it was free. So you had to pay. And just like now, if the retail store is convenient, well, you're gonna pay for that too. And so there in the temple court was people offering up bids for sacrifices they were just a few feet away from offering up to God. Business in the temple courts, it was good until Jesus showed up and interrupts business as usual. He interrupts business as usual because he's serious. He's all business about his father's business and it didn't have anything to do with the business venture that was going on at the temple. We're in the third week of our sermon series called Beloved. And the series name, Beloved, might lead you to think that it's maybe this kind of whimsical idea where we're talking about feelings of love and goodness. In fact, a lot of people even think that because God is love and Jesus is God, well, Jesus is this delicate, kind of delightful, always smiling 
gentle Jesus. Our text for today shows that he's anything but. Jesus is certainly loving. He loves you. You are his beloved, but make no mistake about it. His number one love, the thing he loves more than anything else, is being about his father's business. So we should probably ask the question, what is his father's business? That's the first question that we're going to look at this morning. What is God's business that he wants to be about there at the temple that Jesus is serious and passionate about? But Jesus is consumed by it. He is zealous for it. So it makes you think that the second question, if I'm following Christ and Christ is all consumed by his father's business, does that consume me? And if not, what does? What does consume you? That's what we're looking at today as we watch as Jesus enters in to the temple courts. And this isn't the Jesus that everyone expects. This isn't the Jesus who is pale skinned, rosy cheeks and smiling. This is the full of zeal for his father's house, Jesus. And Jesus comes in and he sees the business venture taking place in the temple courtyard. He sees the sale of lambs and cattle and dove and money being exchanged. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong in and of itself. But the problem is where this is taking place. This is taking place in the temple court. This is taking place in the place where people are supposed to be worshiping, where people are supposed to be praying. It's taking place right next to the holies of holies where the presence of God is. And it's infringing on God's business, on what God the Father is all about. And Jesus says, not today. Not in my father's house. So he takes four ropes, puts them together, and he makes a whip out of cords. He starts running around and hurting the people who are selling all of these things till every last one of them is out of the temple. And I wish I could tell you that no animals were harmed during the making of this scene, but the truth is if the sheep and the cattle who are there to be sacrificed didn't get a move on, they got a crack on the back. And mind you, Jesus is doing this all one-handed because as he's going throughout the temple, he's flipping over the table of money changers and saying, you two, out, let's go. raises some questions, doesn't it? It breaks down the picture of the delicate Jesus, the gentle Jesus that we often picture. But as much as it raises questions, it does only answer one. Jesus only answers one. He tells us why he did this. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. There's a lot packed into those two sentences. The first thing that that Jesus tells us is that this temple, this place of worship, isn't a cold and empty place of worship to some far distant God. But this is the house of the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. The God who is everywhere is here. The God who is infinite is findable. He's findable because he promised that he would be. He would be here giving his forgiveness to his people. But you heard what Jesus called it, didn't you? 
He didn't call it the Lord's house. He called it my father's house. This is my father's house. And Jesus is saying, if one thing's clear, I'm cleaning house for my father because I'm all about his business. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And when Jesus says that, he's getting at something much deeper than just the animals that are there. He's driving at, at what they all represent a shady business that goes beyond just the sale of the ox and the sheep. It's the idea. It's the idea that, that you could come into the temple court and you could buy an ox to just cover over an ox load of sins that you have. Jesus here at the temple is saying that I am here to clear you of that idea to empty out any notion that you can buy what I give. And he's consumed by it. He's zealous for his father's business. What is his father's business? Well, this is it. It's the business of forgiveness. It's Jesus Christ come from heaven to earth to do one thing and one thing alone. And that is to take your sins and not just take them outside the church, outside the temple, but to remove them as far as the east is from the west. It's Jesus' job, his one and only mission to come here and not just cleanse the temple, but cleanse your soul and give you a clean conscience. This is the business of forgiveness. This is his father's business to take all of the sinfulness, all of the purposelessness, all of the darkness, and in exchange, give you sinlessness, give you life, give you purpose, holiness, and righteousness. And he's consumed by this. He's zealous for this. And there is nothing that he will let infringe on this business not even business as usual, at the temple. Can I tell you what I hate about this Bible story? It's a strong word, but I hate what people do to this text. This is a story that is essentially and to its core about one thing. It is about Jesus being serious, being very, very passionate about his father's business, the business of forgiveness. But you want to know what people do instead? They take this story, this familiar story about Jesus and his righteous anger in the temple, and they say, aha, you see there? Jesus got angry, so I can too. I can get righteous anger about my passion projects, as long as it's noble, of course. But you know what's going on. People take this idea of righteous indignation and they use it just to cover up actual indiscretion, actual sin. Let me put it, a little more bluntly. People use this section of God's word and they use other ones as well. But they use this story to ignore the fact that they are sinners who need forgiveness, but they'd rather just go about business as usual. 
It might make you uncomfortable. But this morning, we're gonna take a second to talk about sin. And that's, that's not what's unusual and that's not what's gonna make you uncomfortable. We do that every Sunday that we get together here. We talk about sin when we confess them to our God to begin worship. But I want you to think about the sins that are common. Sins in your life that, well, sometimes you might even not think about them because they seem necessary. They may even seem like an obligation. They're just the things you do. They're business as usual. Let me be blunt and ask it this way. What is it? What business of yours has taken the place and the space in your life where we ought to come and just simply, passively, humbly receive God's forgiveness? It's the social sins, isn't it? The sins that everyone's doing. It's the cultural sins. It's the sins that, ah, pastor, that's just the way it is. It's business as usual. It's also the personal sins, the sins that have been around for a really long time, that have gotten under your skin, that, that just stay there. It might even be a, a part of your personality. It's, it's just kind of my lifestyle. Can't change me now. It's business as usual. It's the sins of ignorance. It's sins that you don't even realize are sins anymore. The bitterness, the resentfulness, smug attitude, the self-righteousness. It's business as usual. You got those sins in your mind? You remember them? Well, get them out of here because this is what your God says to you. This is Hebrews chapter eight. Your God says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. The sins you can't forget, God doesn't remember. Why? Because Jesus Christ is about his father's business, which is the business of forgiveness. It is a business that remembers your sins no more. Let that idea consume you. The Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world and your sins included. Let it consume you that you are forgiven in Christ. Look, I don't know how you picture Jesus, but what the Bible makes very, very clear is that Jesus is a bad man who let nothing come in the way of what his father was all about. And that is giving you full and free forgiveness for all your sins. Do you notice what everyone did when Jesus was driving out the animals flipping over tables. Did you see what they did to him? Nothing. <laughs> they couldn't stop him. Jesus gets all done, and it's then that people finally come up to him, and they ask him, ah, excuse us, sir, can you, can you show us your ID? Can you give us a sign to show us, to prove your authority to do all this? Oh, you want a sign? 
You want a sign from the one who turned water into wine, who has been going about healing people and showing many other signs while he was here in Jerusalem? You don't need another sign. You don't need another sign. They just weren't looking at all of the signs that Jesus had, in fact, given them. And so I love Jesus' answer. He doesn't point them to the fact that he is God. He doesn't point them to the things he had already done, the miracles. All he says is this. He says, you see your treasured temple? You see your your precious temple? Yeah, I'm gonna destroy it. And in three days, I'm gonna build it again. I'm out. Because there's a new temple in town. And it's him. You see the irony, don't you? There was animals in the temple. There was sheep, there was cattle, there was pigeons. And they were driven out by the lamb. Jesus Christ comes into the temple and he wasn't there to sell people on the idea of personal improvement. He wasn't there to make people pay. Now lambs don't do that. Lambs come to the temple for one reason, and that's to die. And that's what the Passover is all about. It is about the death of a lamb. Back in Egypt, God's people were in captivity. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. And during the 10th plague, Jesus said, I'm going to send the spirit of the Lord, God said. I'm going to spend the spirit of the Lord over my people. And I'm going to give you this promise that if you sacrifice a lamb and you paint his blood above your doorstep, you, the eldest in your household, all the oldest males, they're going to survive. And Jesus saved them, gave them life, gave them freedom through the blood of the lamb. What Jesus is saying when he steps into the temple, and you remember what festival they're celebrating, don't you? It's the Passover. When the Passover lamb steps into the temple and stands there, whip in hand, and says, I'm gonna destroy this and build it back up. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the lamb for which you need no other lambs. All the rest can go, they can get out of here. Because the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here And he's about his father's business. He's about giving you forgiveness for all your sins. Let that consume you. You think of all the social sins, the sins that we do just because it's what culture does and we do it to fit in and ah, that's just the way it is. Jesus forgives you. Jesus fully forgives you. The personal sins, the sins that get under you, that bother you, that only you know about, that you just can't get rid of, that happen again and again. And you kind of wonder if it's part of your personality, if it's a lifestyle that you can choose or not choose to do this after all. Can you change now? Jesus changes you because Jesus forgives you fully, freely. The sins that you can't even remember, the sins of ignorance that you don't even think about, that you don't even remember doing yesterday, today, or, or in the past week or year. He's taken those and he's given you his full and free forgiveness. The Lamb of God stands in the temple court with one thing on his mind his father's business, the business of your forgiveness. So what consumes you? Can you imagine if forgiveness just 
consumed you. And it consumed you, and, and not just that the, the truth of you are forgiven, but if forgiveness, the idea of forgiveness, forgiveness from God, first of all, but in your relationships and your interactions with one another, if that's the first and, and really the only thing that consumed you, can you imagine that? This past week, I... I had the opportunity to hear from a lot of you, to talk to many of you, to read emails and texts on the phone. And I know that, that we were talking because I'm holding a call to be a pastor at this church, of course, and, and also another church in Illinois. And every one of those conversations, every one of the texts, that I received, they were positively and overwhelmingly encouraging. After each one, I would just leave feeling, wow, what a privilege to be a pastor. What a privilege to be your pastor here and now in a time like this. And, and that got me thinking, what a privilege to be a Christian, to be the church. In a time like this, in a time when, when people, our president predicts that the deaths for coronavirus are going to reach 600,000, people are sick or they're going to get sick. When other people are sick with grief and other people are sick with loneliness, during a time where, where people are putting all of their hope in a ruler or rulers, and other people are hopeless. A time when, when people aren't even united on what unity means, much less agree on the means to bring about unity. What a time. What a time to be us, to be the church, to be a pastor. I heard one social commentator who said, right now we are living in a fourth-rate American crisis, it, right behind the Great Depression, the Civil War, and the Second World War, it is the fourth greatest crisis that, that our country has ever faced. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is this. Business is good. Business is good, and it is a good time to be a pastor, to be a Christian, to be a church, to be us. While there is so much death we have the words of life. Well, there is so much darkness, we get to be light. Well, there is so much lying and manipulation, we have the truest truth that ever there was and changes hearts and lives. Well, there are so many people who don't have a foundation to stand on. We're standing on a rock. And I don't mean to make light of everything that's not right when I talk about it being a good time for business. What I want to talk about is the only thing that's right, and that is our Father's business, the business of forgiveness. I'm talking about you and me being consumed by that, being zealous for that, getting to share that message of sins forgiven, guilt gone, you're free from shame. Getting to share that with everybody because everybody needs it. Jesus remembered what it 
said, what it, the Old Testament, the Psalm said about Jesus. It said his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. I'll just tell you right now, it's, it's not a good thing if someone calls you a zealot. <laughs> if someone calls you a zealot, it's usually not a compliment. It means you're really radical or you're really extreme about, about some idea, usually a political or a religious ideology. It's not a compliment. But it might be. If the thing you're zealous for is forgiveness. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being totally consumed by the idea of showing Christ-like love to others? You would be a breath of fresh air to people. Can you imagine if during a time, looking back on a year and even this year, where people make jokes about, because who knows what else to do, about one thing going wrong, one right after the other, if your friends and family looked at you and said, what's going on with this guy? What's going on with this girl? Their life is like a musical and they're singing in the rain. I got to know what makes them tick. I got to get some of that. And it's all because you're zealous. You're consumed with the idea that your sins are forgiven. And there's nothing else that now you can't forgive either. Can you imagine what it would be like in a world where, where people don't even know how to talk to each other anymore because people are so politicized about political things or politicized and polarized about things that aren't even political. If you're the only person, the only friend that they had to talk to because they know you won't criticize, you won't judge, you don't have an agenda to push. You're not offensive and you can't even be offended because you're zealous, you're consumed by your father's forgiveness. Blank consumes you. What would you put in there? What consumes you? I'm sure there's a long list of things that might. But Jesus says, my beloved, let this consume you. Be zealous about this. My father's business, the business of forgiveness. Amen.